Well, welcome to church, everyone. We're so glad to have you at HL. Um, hey, let's give it up for our first-time guests. If it's your first time, we are honored and excited that you're here. And um, starting a brand new series today on, um, yeah, it's entitled The Genius of Generosity. And um, I am excited about it. You know, so a genius is defined as someone who is um, exceptional um, in their intellectual capabilities. And so uh, a lot of us know people who are phenomenal um, at math, uh, you know, uh, the arts, um, entertainment, uh, science, whatever you, whatever you name it. A lot of us know a few people in these different fields of expertise, and they are just exceptional beyond measure. Um, and that's what you would call a genius. I personally, be, I personally believe that everybody in this room right now, in this church today, is a genius. You're a genius at something. You're exceptional because God has given you gifts on the inside. And maybe you don't even know those gifts. Maybe you don't know what you're great at, and that's okay. We're going to deal with that on a, on a different series. Um, but you also define a genius as someone who is distinctive. So they are great at what they do, and that's what makes them distinct. Um, generous is um, the act of giving above and beyond uh, what's needed or what's necessary. And so about six or seven months ago, I was going through my calendar for church series to do. And uh, man, we're, we're planned all the way out with message series until next fall. But about six months ago, I'm like, God, what do you want to speak um, in the month of December to our local church? We are, we are just one expression of the entire body of Christ in the world, one expression of many, I mean, billions of people across the world. And uh, I felt like the Holy Spirit dipped in, my, dipped in my spirit the genius of generosity. It was just a theme that stuck with me. It was a concept that stuck. Um, and so generosity is to give more than what is needed, be it your time, your, your gifts, your talents, and even your money. And so I, I'm thinking that before we move, we want to be a church that really reaches our city. We want to reach our communities. We want to reach the neighboring cities around us. I mean, we're called to not just Gaithersburg, but Montgomery County and the entire state of Maryland, um, we're, we're called to impact this entire region. And so why not start this series being a year old? And I just believe we're going to have a, a series on generosity just about every year around this time of the year. We're going to make sure Jesus gets his before Target and, and uh, Amazon and, and Elon Musk and all those ripoffs. And so, um, yeah, man, I, just, I believe that God has called us to be distinct in our generosity, that Highlight Church is going to be known for how we give. And so um, I'm excited about this series, actually. Are you? Yeah. Are you? Good, good. And don't, don't shut me off today now. Um, so today I want to give you context about the biblical story, the narrative that we're going to be into. So the children of Israel are the, are the children of God, chosen children of God, and They've been in the promised land for a few hundred years. We're about to enter a narrative to where they've had about six to seven kings 
Right now they're in a silver, a civil dispute. There's the southern kingdom and there's the northern kingdom. The northern is composed of ten tribes. Uh, the southern is composed of two tribes, all of which derive from Jacob, um, who's Abraham's grandson. And so uh, Israel, the northern kingdom, has had six evil kings that have turned the hearts of the people from worshiping God. The God who blessed them, the God who placed them in their promised land. Um, six kings for over 50 years have turned over 2 million people from God to uh, Baal worship. Baal is an idol god, and, and they've, they've started to turn their hearts towards him. And we know um, wherever your heart, so, go, so goes your time, your focus, your affection, your attention, and your money. So there, there are certain principles that Moses gave the children of Israel hundreds of years prior that they have since dropped. And those principles were principles of blessings. We would call them the law. The law served many different purposes, those of which I'm not gonna dig through today. But one of the purposes of the law um, was to reveal sin, but another purpose was for God to set up parameters and boundaries in their lives. And so a lot of times when we think about boundaries, we think about limitations. We think about what we can't do when we have a boundary. Not considering that if my boundary is this entire stage, I can do a whole lot within a boundary. And so they sought to leave those boundaries as they turned their hearts from God. And so um, with that being said, we have King Ahab who steps in and he does what is evil in the sight of the Lord. He has the children of Israel build um, temples unto Baal in high places, something that Moses strictly condemned in the law. And so we have one of my favorite prophets in the Old Testament come on the scene. His name is Elijah. So at this time, two million people have turned from God. 7,000 have not bowed a knee to Baal, but they're in hiding because they're afraid that if I speak out against culture and against society, and if I stand up for God, and if I give my heart to God, and if I trust God with my resources, I'm going to be killed. So Elijah arrives on the scene, and he represents the presence of God. One man, his name actually means that Yahweh is God in the Hebrew. The Lord is God. He arrives on the scene, he goes to the palace, and he confronts Ahab. <laughs> and this is what he says in 1 Kings 17, 1. Now, Elijah, who was from Tishbe in Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. I mean, how do you just, that's just gangster. How do you just arrive on the scene from Tishbe and Gilead? Look here. God is done. It's drought season. You've been putting him on the back burner for a while, and he's done. And it's drought season. And, uh, man, it became drought season. And, and it, it doesn't just have to become drought season in your finances. It can be drought season in your soul and in your relationships and 
in your marriage and it can be droughts you can you can be you can be good financially but just drought season all up in all up in here where it really matters and he said look dude over 50 years six plus kings have turned the people from the heart of god you've been putting god on the back burner you know it's drought season and as you know it he ends up on cnn and fox news and there's an assassination reward on his head and so god said i need you to get out of here because the secret service wants to assassinate you and he sends elijah to a brook and it's interesting because at this brook um ravens bring him meat god god gives him food from heaven ravens bring the prophet meat elijah also represents the church um bring brings the prophet meat in the brook he can drink the water out of but only for a season because he's already prophesied damnation. And guess what? The brook dries up. So what does the prophet do? The Spirit of God tells Elijah, I need you to go to a widow in Zarephath, the city of Sidon. A couple things here. Widows in the time of Elijah were the poorest people on the face of the earth. He said, I need you, to, you guys, please listen to me this morning. Please don't tap out, especially you young people. If you would get these principles today, within the next 10 years, if you would practice them, you would never have to worry about finances again in your life. This is a financial series, so I want to help you. A lot of churches will dance around finances. We, we will not dance around finances, but I will give you truth. I will teach you grace, and I will expect for you to apply these principles in your lives. And so he says, I need you to go to a widow in Zarephath. Now, Zarephath isn't even an Israelite town. So he's sending him to a town of non-believers. Because God is attempting to get a principle of blessing through Elijah into this woman's life. So he's going to provide for Elijah, but he's also going to bless this woman who doesn't even know him. And so we enter therein, and I want to bring a message to you entitled, Breaking the Cycle. Breaking the Cycle. Are we ready today? So 1 Kings 17, we're going to start with verse 8. And it says it here. Then the Lord said to Elijah, go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. That widow represents us which means God, God has already given us the instruction as to what to do with our finances. And I love it because he's giving someone an instruction that's actually in a very vulnerable place in her finances. Please catch these principles. And it says here, so he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, would you please bring me a little water in a cup? That was standard back then. So she was going to get it and then he said this watch this now bring me a bite of bread too now this is an ag agricultural society what we have to understand is bread is not only her sustenance but bread is also her resource bread is her finance and so you're coming on the spot I don't know you from jack crap anywhere and you're asking me to give you bread too and he says this but I said um but she said, I swear by the Lord, your God, I don't serve God like you serve God, 
that I don't have a single piece of bread in my house. Hold on, let's rewind. So the Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. It says it in Numbers. So the, uh, the spirit of God that can't lie tells Elijah, I'm sending you to a widow that's going to provide for you. And this widow says, surely as I live, I only have a little piece of bread. You can't have it. All right, let's, let's keep digging here. He says this here. And I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. It's been a cycle, prophet, dude, and we've run out. We're living paycheck to paycheck around here. We're in the red a lot around here. So this is our last meal. We're going to die. I love the prophet. I love the presence of God because he will call you to trust him even when it doesn't make sense. He will call you to put him first even when it doesn't make sense. It's okay. It's okay. We're going to get this here. And he says this here, and I have only a handful of flour. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. I want to I minister that to your heart this morning. And maybe some of you are loaded in this room. So don't take this as a financial talk. Take this as a soul talk. God is calling you to give your heart to him. And he says this here, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to put God first. Go ahead and do what you've said. But... Make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son. I love this. Here it is. This, so that's the principle. Here's the promise. Verse 14. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and crops grow again. This shows me that even in a drought, God wants to provide for you. I mean, the rivers have dried up. The fields are barren. The livestock is dead. The economy is in a crisis. And the presence of God comes to this woman's home. And he says, I know you only have a little, but I need that little. And this is the promise, that even though everything around you is in shambles, your soul, your heart, your resource, your roof shall be blessed in Jesus' name. And so, <laughs> I know it because I'm living in it right now. I know it. I know it, and I'm going to share a little bit of that in a minute. So, um, the genius of generosity is this, is that as a church, we understand that as we give more, we have a greater impact. And they say that when you give more, your, your mortality rate, drops 35%. They said that when you give more, you have a less chance of, of, of getting diabetes and heart disease. When you volunteer more, when you pour yourself out for the glory of something that's bigger than you, it just does your life better, both spiritually and naturally. And what I want to do is I want to um, I want to share a few ways as to how to break a cycle. It, 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 it's cyclic. And so we just read, do you know that the average household spends 136% of its income? And if you're good at math, that's not good. 36% <laughs> over. Um, we, the average American, not everyone, spends $1.22 for every dollar earned. 
90% of married couples argue about money every day, which then leads to divorce being, uh, financial uh, struggles being the number one reason for divorce, um, which, which makes sense. Um, 60% of people that will retire this year will make an income for the rest of their lives unless they don't retire and get another job of less than $10,000 a year. That's pension, social security, and potential 401k. That's 60% of people that will retire. It, 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 it's a vicious cycle. 70% of millennials, we spend four hours of our work shifts thinking about, bickering about, complaining about, and worrying about finances. 70% of millennials. It's just a vicious cycle. And a lot of us in here, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, they died in debt. Um, a lot of us in here, if you've ever lost someone in your life and you've heard like that they left a bill behind them, loved them to death, but they didn't take care of their finances. And it's just... Is vicious, and, and Satan loves poverty. Um, Proverbs says that a man's wealth is his strong tower. Solomon also said in Proverbs that um, money answers all things, meaning that you, you have money, you don't have a worry of natural things in your life. He said poverty is the poor person's destruction. It, it's, it's vicious, and I just want to encourage you that it's not God's will. Debt is not God's will for your life. Credit card debt, you need to cut them up and put them away. This thing, we, we take a vacation, we put it on our credit card, not understanding the interest rates and all that stuff adds up. You're going to be paying for that seven-day vacation for at least two years. And, and it's getting these principles in early. And so what I want to teach us today, breaking the cycle. And the first way that anyone want to know how to break the cycle? Does anyone want to know? Breaking the cycle. Well, number one, you give to God first. Give to God first. Give to God first. We see this in the narrative. I pray that you would take notes and you wouldn't just sit there with your hands folded looking at me. Give to God first. And how do we go about this? Number one, return the tithe. This is how you give to God first. Return the tithe. The word tithe means tenth. And it doesn't just mean tenth. It's the first tenth. And so back in Elijah's day, in as well as Jesus' day, they would have received a few harvests. So there was a season where you sow, then there was a season where there were a number of harvests. And the first harvest, the, the tenth of that harvest belonged to God. And so there were instructions in Elijah's day in which, obviously, Israel has gotten far away from. And that's why they're in a drought. There were instructions that on that first harvest, you brought God the first tenth. This is what you call the best portion. And it's funny that in our prayers, we don't want to come second to God. But in every other area in our lives, we put God in second, third, fourth, and fifth. And the, the result is a drought in our souls, in every area of our lives. So it, it means tenth, and it's the first tenth. So how does this translate modern day? You work Monday through Friday. Most of us get paid every other week. As soon as that direct deposit hits, or if you get paid cash or check, whatever industry you're in, that first tenth is God's principle, scripture. It's what it says. And so Deuteronomy 14, 23 says this. 
the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. You break the cycle by starting a new cycle. And we have to also understand in giving to God first that the tithe belongs to God. The tithe belongs to God. If you cash your check, $5,000 check, you're going to get, say, $5,100 bills. The first five $100 bills goes to God. It's his. And so this is a principle that if you're going to get out of the cycle of those statistics that you must insert and start to inject and utilize in your life. Leviticus 27.30 says this, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields, which was her flour, or fruit from the trees, watch this, belongs to the Lord, and it must be set apart to him as holy. I don't know about you, but I don't want to mess with anything. I don't want to eat up anything that belongs to God. So understand that when you put God first, return the tithe. Anytime you'll read the tithe in scripture, the language is always return it. It's not, hey, give me the tithe. Or, or like, no, it's, hey, I let you hold my car. Hey, can I have my car? No, it's, hey, bring me my car. So bring, return to me the tithe. Number three, we have to understand in giving to God first, this is a principle that has spanned human history. So tithing was even before Moses because a lot of people, especially people that know their Bible, and I won't lie to you and I won't cheat you because I love you, a lot of people will come to you and say, oh, you tithe at your church? That's not biblical because that's law. And Jesus fulfilled the law and you're saved by grace and you don't have to tithe. That is a devil. Tithing came before Moses. Tithing started at the beginning of human history. You want to, okay? Genesis 4, with Cain and Abel, the first children of Adam and Eve, way before Moses, thousands of years. Watch this. This is crazy. When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Look at the narrative. Cain presented some of his crops. So he allowed the harvest to come and to come and to come and to come. And it's just like, all right, in the process of time, let me, I'm going to go to the place of worship and I'm going to just, you know, I'm going to give him something. The plate's coming around, I'm going to give him something. Watch his brother because he got jealous of his brother and this was the first murder ever. But this is what predated the first sin was, was a difference in how someone handled their money. And so it says it here. Abel also brought a gift, the best portions of the firstborn lambs of his flock, because Abel was a shepherd. He was a type of Jesus, and he brought the firstborn of his flock, the best portion, the first of his flock. And watch the result. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this is what caused Cain to become jealous, and he then murdered Abel. It's a principle that spans human history. So when, when I come to church and I, I put my little change in, in a bucket, it's not that God doesn't want to accept it. It's that God can't be who he is not. 
So God can't bless a tip. And we don't tip a king that has died on a cross for our sins, that loves us, that's given us everything. Okay, this is a tithing message, so it's, it's quiet, but it's okay. Number four, we have to understand this, is that putting God first is supported by Jesus. And so they'll say, well, Jesus never taught the tithe. Where Here it is. <laughs> Matthew 23, 23 says this. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites? So he's rebuking the teachers of the law in his day, the, the, the church folk, which is interesting. But he says this, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income. This is, the, this is the issue about people saying, well, we're saved by grace and you don't have to tithe. What you got to understand is that Jesus sees the tithe as tiny. And because you don't have to be perfect to receive salvation, that should ignite in something in you, a desire in you to give more than 10%. So he says this is the tiniest. You tithe your tiniest of 10%. Of, of your garden herbs, and he says this, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, to do good unto people, to show compassion, and to trust God. I just kind of built those three terms out. He said this, you should tithe. So if anyone ever comes to you and say, Jesus never taught the tithe, there it is. You should tithe, and he's going to say this, yes, but do not neglect the more important things, and I think that's the that's the, the, the heart behind this series is as you give, we are loving people, we're sharing compassion, and we're trusting God with our resource because we have a city to reach. There are people hurting. There are people dying. There are people being abused. And just because you don't see it, it doesn't mean that it's not happening. So tithe, but tithe in love. Tithe in love. So give to God first, return the tithe, it belongs to him. It's a principle since the beginning of human history that God accepts and it was taught by our Savior. I just laid it out for you theologically. I covered it all. And so it says this here, Elijah said, break the cycle by giving me bread first. And so verse 15 so I lo this is my favorite part of this stanza. So she did, as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers, just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. Does anyone want that? So it's another thing. This isn't the prosperity gospel. The prosperity gospel tells you to give $1,000, and God's going to give ten. It's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you to obey and to trust God's word. Prosperity gospel teaches you that God is an ATM, that you can go and you can put in your card, you can hit a number, and it, it comes out. That's the prosperity gospel. As a matter of fact, a lot of times when you begin to tithe and, and apply these principles, things get worse before they get better. They get worse in your finances. Your, your relationships get funny. Your, your opportunities get locked up. And then it starts to get better as you start to remain consistent with the principle. You don't, you don't see the harvest as soon as you sow. You sow, you sow, you sow, 
it rains, it gets hot, you don't know if a harvest is going to come, you sow, you sow, and there's the harvest. There's everything you, you've been praying for for the past six months, and here it comes because you applied the principle. And so I remember going to church, <laughs> and we didn't go every, every week. I say we average about two, three times, maybe three times a Sunday. And uh, my mother and I, you know, we would sit in our pew. I was raised in a Baptist church, so we had pews. And uh, the preacher would always preach, man. Let me tell you something about Baptist church. Jesus is going to be born every Sunday. He's go down the cross, and he go rise from the grave. Just that's about it. He can preach from anything. The, the preacher's going up on that at the end of the sermon. And so it's time to take the offering. And uh, this, was, this was commonplace for our family. Um, the plate was going to come down our pew, and here's my mom. Getting out $3, giving me $3. Plate comes, put it on in. My grandma, the same thing, loved the Lord. She was up 5 o'clock every morning praying, uh, watching Creflo Dollar and all that stuff, just, just all that. Dropping in her $5. And I come to find out when I met Kyra, her parents used to do the same thing. Our parents developed a cycle of tipping occasionally. So when we met, about a year before we got married, during our engagement, we determined in our lives that we were going to break that cycle. Because one thing about our family is I never saw my mom and dad sit down at a table to discuss finances. Short-term goals, long-term goals. I was always fed, had shelter, had clothing. They never discussed anything, no plans. Um, they didn't teach me debt, credit, interest rates, loans, credit utilization. Do you understand that if you have a credit card? It's cool, but keep your spending under 30% and always pay that back off. When it's due, keep it under 30. So if you have a credit card of $1,000, okay, splurge on 300. Pay that joint down as soon as you get paid after you tithe. Pay it down. <laughs> and that does wonders for your credit score. This is another thing. We, we expect to come to church and to be all spiritual. Can I teach you Bible about practical things that are holding you bondage? Can we just talk about that? I never learned any of that. But what we did come to understand was that we had to break the cycle of tipping God occasionally and tithing consistently. So Elijah is introducing her to not just starting a new cycle, but remaining consistent in that cycle. Anything you do over and over and over and over again, you produce a result, a result, a result. So he's telling her, stick with the cycle. I love this story. It says this here. Just listen in for me. A Methodist minister says that in one of his charges, a good man regularly, <clears throat> sorry, gave every Sabbath, meaning every weekend, for the support of the church. This was a richer man. A poor widow was also a member of the same church who supported herself and six children by washing. 
She was a regular, uh, she was as regular as the rich man in making her offering of two pence per week, um, which was all she could spare from her scant offer earnings. One day the rich man came to the minister and said, that poor woman ought not to give anything and that he would pay the two pence for her every week. The pastor called to tell her of the offer, which he did in a considerate manner. Tears came to the woman's eyes as soon as she replied, do they want to take from me the comfort I experience in giving to the Lord? Think how much I owe him. My health is good, my children are well, and I receive so many blessings that I feel I could not live if I did not make my little offering to Jesus each week. How many there are who know nothing of the privilege of regularly, <clears throat> sorry, giving something to the Lord's work? How many there are who know nothing of the privilege and the value of giving to the Lord's work. And so in Elijah's time, there was a, a physical temple that the presence of God would make his presence known. In the New Testament, Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 3.16, don't you know that you are the temple of God? You, anyone who, I'm, so I'm not talking to non-believers today. I'm talking to all Christians. If you've received Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in your heart. And when we come together, we make up the church, the temple of God the body of Christ. And she said, I will not allow anyone to rob me of the opportunity to give unto the work of Jesus. So Kyra and I, as well as this lady, we tithe consistently because we value the Lord Jesus and what he's done in our lives. We value the church that he died to build. We value changed lives. We value broken addictions. We value healed marriages. We value our outreach partners and everything that they're doing in our city. We value these things. So therefore, every Friday, I get paid a Friday, she gets paid the next one. Off the top, it's coming on into the church. Because we value it. We value it. D does it mean anything that he died for you? Does it mean anything that he's given you breath and health? And he just says, give me that first. And so we value it. I just want to also encourage you. Oh, yeah, that second point was give God's way. I'm sorry about that. And this third point is receive God's blessing. We see in the narrative that this woman's oil and flour never ran out. Giving God's way. There are a few ways here. Um, no, I'm going to do that later on. Giving God's way, yeah. So receive God's blessing. John D. Rockefeller. This is one of my heroes, man. Um, back in the 1800s, he brought home his first paycheck to his mom, or his first pay. It wasn't a check back then to his mom. And it was $1.50. And his mom, being a devout believer in Jesus Christ, she said, son, out of this $1.50, you take 15 cents to church this Sunday and put it in the offering plate. And as long as you put God first, he's going to always bless your life. This was a single mom whose husband, senior Rockefeller, had left them 
for another family that he had in another state, a poor family. And she said, son, take that 15 cent, put it in the plate. It's the Lord's. And so would you know it, um, at the peak of his career, <laughs> this, this is crazy, Rockefeller owned 90%, 90% of the oil industry. This was in the early 1900s. And if we would translate his wealth back then to today, he would be worth $340 billion. That's five times more than Bill Gates. He earned 90%. And, and so today, now, they, they, the Standard Oil Company no longer exists. They, they pretty much own Chevron and Exxon, Mobil, and all that stuff. Every time you go, and he's giving it to Rockefeller. Um, he was a tither. He never missed a Sunday in church, as busy as he was. He never missed a Sunday in church because he wasn't going to miss the opportunity to give unto Jesus. And between 1855 and 1930, Rockefeller had given $551 million to the house of God, to charitable occasions, and to the black struggling African-American community. He, his wife founded Spelman College down in Atlanta, Georgia. Such a generous man. And so when he was oftentimes criticized for his amount of wealth because it was bananas, my dad was born in 1937. He's 80, and he used to tell me, son, the things you could do with 50 cents. <laughs> and that's how we think. I'm like, dad, Rockefeller had like a billion like in his pocket. You talking about 50 cents. Yeah, son, you could buy Coke and popcorn and watch a movie. <laughs> I'm going to go with these practices, with these principles. <laughs> I love you. And he said when he was criticized for his wealth, his quote, and I'm sorry I don't have it for you, he said, God gave me my money. And then he had a quote, and I meant to send it to you, Chris, I forgot to. He said that I would have never tithed on my first million had I not tithed on my first $1.50. <laughs> and we, we tell God that just like this woman told Elijah, I don't have anything. Don't be afraid. Give to me first because God has empowered me to get Israel and this entire region on the right track. But in this season, I need you to support me first. So this is how this applies. We give to God through the local church. There's no way that you're going to tithe when you get more. Think about it. I got $10. I got to give one to God. That's okay. That's easy. I got $100,000. i am going to give 10000 to God. What? Not going to happen. I love it because in Malachi 3.16, God says, bring the tithe to the storehouse and see won't I open up the windows of heaven and release a blessing that you cannot contain. He says, this is the only thing God, he says, test me in this. It's the only thing in scripture God tells you to test him on because he won't be outgiven. 
And so the genius behind this is, is that 10% of every dollar that you gave last year went to support the mentally ill. We, we brought in 88,000 in offering from October to October. 12,000 of that went to, uh, to outreach. We gave 13%. When I, I, I said it at 10%. We should only gave 9,000. But we gave 13% to, to the mentally ill, to teenagers who struggle with substance abuse. We gave to women and children who are fleeing domestic violence every day. We gave to them because their ex-husbands and their boyfriends are crazy. And I was at breakfast the other day with someone. And I said, we're adopting eight families and 20 children this, this Christmas. And this individual told me um, to add at least two more families, in which we added six more. He said, whatever the church gives this Christmas, I'm going to match. That, that's, that's the genius of generosity. That's this individual finding joy and giving to God through the church, but also impacting the lives of others who wouldn't otherwise have hope during this Christmas season. And I'm not going to tell you if he believes in Christ or not, but I will say this. Sometimes those that don't believe in Jesus give more than those who do. And that shouldn't be so. We got to step up, church. We got to step up. So we're going to do this gift of generosity offering on December the 17th. And you, you can start today. There's a, there's a few ways. So it's been my prayer over the past few months as we've started this uh, series that if you've never given before, that today will be your first Sunday. And, and you don't give out of compulsion. You give out of joy. You don't have to give 10%. You can give two. 10% is a starting principle to stretch your faith. The more you're stretched, this woman was stretched, the more blessing that God can pour into your life. So maybe today will be your first time ever tithing. Maybe it will be on the 17th. For those of you who tithe when you're not, when you're here, but your resource is not here when you're not here, we have what's called the re, re, recurring option online, where if you get paid a fixed amount, and this sound, once again, look, I'm not going to dance around it. If this pushes you away, I was telling my wife earlier this week, whether you go to HL or somewhere else, I pray that you would be a tither in your local church. But someone has to tell you this. Because we've been beneficiaries of that. We've had people visit us, and they put $1,000 in the plate. Because whatever church that they've come from, they've learned the principle of when I come to God's house, I'm not coming empty-handed. So whether you go here or not, please tithe. So online, if you get paid a fixed amount, you can set up recurring giving. That's my prayer for you, either today or beginning on the 17th. That's your over and above. And for those of you who do give regularly, we praise God for all of you. Genius of generosity. You give over and above your regular tithing. God's going to take that as we head into a new year to reach lives because there are more people to reach. Some people have asked me this year, hey, pastor, when are we going to get a building? 
I said, I can paint the picture, but you set the pace. I can cast the vision, but you determine the value. God wants to do something, church. Let's not read this book and not walk it out. And we came to find out through this woman and putting God first that everything you will ever need will always be given when God is first in our hearts and in our finances. Let's give the word of God a hand clap of praise. I feel so good to be young and teaching that real stuff. I'm going to be old and gray teaching it. When we 5,000, just, you got to tithe. At that point, all of you would have had set the foundation for that 5,000. Come on, give that a clap. Give that a clap. That's vision. Praise God. Let's bow our heads, church. Not a conventional message, but if you've never given your heart to Christ, I want to pray a prayer. And if this be your prayer, you raise that hand at the end of this prayer. Jesus loves you. Pray with me in your hearts and then raise your hand after amen. Father God, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness and grace. Thank you, Lord, that I don't have to be perfect to receive salvation Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God, and you were sent to die on a cross for my sins. I ask that your spirit would come into my heart, and that you would fill me through and through. Thank you that I am a new creation today. The old is gone, and the new has come, and I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen.